the American dream in bad shape right now. From Television City in Hollywood. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Discretionary viewer participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience. Everyone and welcome to episode 183 of Greetings from Allentown. I am your host Peter Winston, and today I'm sorry I'm laughing because I forgot to plug in my microphone. I, I usually screw up my intro two or three times before I could really get rolling, but I, I I nailed it pretty good. And I realized why is the audio so low? It's like oh yeah, that's right. I didn't plug in my microphone. <laughs> I hope that's not an omen of things to come. But yes, episode 183, this is a biggie, and I know I've said that for a lot of other shows, but this one's been in the queue for a while because I wasn't sure what to do with it because the video was an hour and 26 minutes, and I watched it a long time ago, and I was like, well, it's an hour and 26 minutes. I'm not going to do it in one show, but it's NWA Worldwide from August 23rd, 1986, but that video, what I did not realize, because you have to actually watch it through to the middle of it is Worldwide cuts off and NWA Pro starts up at the end. Which, you know, looking at them both, they're they're both okay shows. There's a lot going on in Crockett at that time. But this is one of the most loaded television programs that you will ever see on a wrestling... But, like, there are are only three matches on this hour-long program, which, which is fine, considering that you have eight wrestlers involved... And the one who is probably the least of a star out of all of them is Robert Gibson. So you know you're doing pretty good when you got that, like, Bobby Eaton is in the bottom half. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Because we got Nikita Koloff facing Magnum TA in match number seven for the United States title. Oh, and uh, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. And the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, this is this is some classic stuff here. I mean, and also... Over the weekend, I was like, well, I just did two WWF shows. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go do a world-class show or whatever? And by the way, bon voyage and tip of the kayfabe hat to the WorldCast podcast, which wrapped up with episode 100 this week. I'm certainly going to miss that one. My former, I don't know what you call it, colleague, fellow show on the Pro Wrestling Only feed. Now the Pro Wrestling Only Mostly feed, <laughs> I think it is at this point. Which is all right by me. So yeah, this show has it all with basically everybody you could be looking for. But it's also got a heel turn thrown in there as well from the Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair match. Somebody gets involved from the outside. But before I get into all that, let me get in my plugs. Email show, greetingsvalentine at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash blah, blah, blah. And on Twitter at GF Allentown Pod. That is at GF Allentown Pod. 
I don't, I don't, I don't tweet it a couple times over the course of the week. I should follow up and tweet more with the shows that I've done or create videos or, or, or something. It's just, you know, I, I wanted to do this one because this one is actually on YouTube and I've been doing a lot of stuff lately that kind of goes away from the mission of this show, which was find stuff on YouTube and do that. Well, you know, I, I save stuff and I have access to other things that aren't mine. So, you know, it's a little bit, you know, I can stray away from that a little bit. After all, there's no WCW Prime on the network. But, you know, this, like I said, this one's got plenty in it for me. But uh, I was thinking of a couple of things over the week, and there are a couple of, like, sort of off-the-wall things that I that I like to talk about. I'm just going to touch on them very, very briefly. Number one, my, my wife came back from Long Island at the end of last week, and she brought two dozen bagels for me from this place called Bagel Boss. You, you may have heard of it. It was in the news. I don't know if it was earlier this year or last year. Why is it okay for women to say, oh, you're five feet on dating sites? You should be dead. That's okay. Who said that to you here? Nobody. Women in general have said it on dating sites. You think I'm making that shit up? For those of you who forgot about that incident with quote-unquote bagel boss guy, congratulations. And I can assure you that Austin Aries eventually enjoyed his breakfast sandwich that he ordered. Anyway, yeah, the bagels down there are just much, much better. Especially the salt bagels. Although, when I get those... I got, I got to eat them right away because they just bleed all over everything in the bag. So you got to, like, basically segregate them from anything else. A terrific hangover food, too, is a salt bagel. I was also watching Ferris Bueller. And, yes, I was, I was kind of a little bit mildly hungover on Sunday morning, which delayed production of GFA Live, for which Keithy is uh, very upset at me because I, I tried to pitch doing it at 8 p.m. on Sunday, forgetting it was SummerSlam. Like, what, what a wrestling podcaster I am. Doesn't even know when a Big Four pay-per-view is. But earlier that day, I watched Ferris Bueller, and I was just thinking that that movie ages well in part because the principal is actually a horrible person in real life, Jeffrey Jones. I've talked about that before. But I don't think we talk enough about Ferris Bueller himself and the psychology of him. And yeah, there's probably somebody who wrote a book about this or some 10,000-word article in The Atlantic or something where, oh, Ferris Bueller is a sociopath or Ferris Bueller is a narcissist. Honestly, I, I sat there thinking about it for 40 minutes as, as the movie was going along, and I could not make up my mind. I mean, I, I think he's a little bit of everything. Ferris has a little something for everybody, which is why, you know, get Save Ferris at Wrigley Field and all this other stuff. And then finally, my last point is, and, and, and this is going to make me sound like a hacky comedian, like... I'm, I can tell I'm getting older, not from the gray in my beard, but because every single time I cut my toenails, it becomes harder and harder. Not because I can't bend down to do it. You know, I'm, I'm trying, you know, I try to watch my weight enough so I can do that. It's just that, like, I, f I feel like my toes are just folding in on themselves. And it's very, very bothersome. And I can't, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, go get a, go get a pedicure, which if a guy wants to get a pedicure, I got no problem with that. But in the middle of a pandemic, you know, I, I, I think I think I'll leave those spots, the available appointment spots for the women or the guys who know what they're doing. And I'll like walk in there and like just have absolutely no idea what the hell is going on. I don't even know how much one of those things are. I mean, I guess I would just cut it out of my beer budget, which would also help me to be able to see my toes in future years is drinking less beer. 
So anyway, I mean, I cut all that off because this is Jim Crockett Promotions 1986. This is the good stuff here. I mean, yeah, I mentioned the three matches at the top, but Midnight's Rock and Rolls, the preeminent tag team feud of the 1980s or even the mid 1980s, depends on how you want to break it down, but it was, you know, crossed multiple territories, multiple places. And that one, you, you really can't quibble with that one too much. Other than I kind of like the matches between the Fantastics and the Midnights more, but I think it might be because I, I've seen 88 Crockett more than other gears. I, I think that that might be the genesis of my bias. Flair versus Dusty Rhodes, the preeminent singles feud of the 1980s, or at least the mid-1980s. I mean, yeah, you could argue for other things in WWF or whatever, but... You have to factor in these two guys' main events at Starcade and back-to-back years and probably could have done it in 86 again if people weren't like, all right, Dusty, that, that, that's enough now. We can't do that match again because you, we did it all summer during the bash, including you know, the match on this show because it's the tail end, I believe, of the Great American Bash Tour. And Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff is probably the feud of 1986, at least for Jim Crockett Promotions, you could argue Hogan and Orndorff, which is just getting going over in WWF land at this point. But this this is Game 7. This is the biggie. Everybody loves a Game 7. Except, of course, for the NHL, because there were no Game 7s in the first round of the playoffs. And I don't think that there are going to be any in the NBA either. Simply because it, it feels like team... I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong with the NBA thing. I think in the NHL, when a team falls behind 3-1 in these playoffs, they're they're dead ducks because uh, a lot of the psychology of it, it might change as you get a little bit later into the playoffs. But Magnum TA didn't give up in that series, and I'll go into that as we reach that match. But yes, these were the days for Jim Crockett promotions. The the absolute peak of their powers, in my opinion. And I said for pretty much every 1986 show that I've done, and I think this is the third one I may have done during this pandemic alone. I think I did April 5, 86 worldwide, and I think I threw in another one somewhere along the line. Like, oh, November 1st, from, from later in the year, when Nikita Koloff turns babyface in Philadelphia, helping out Dusty Rhodes against the Horsemen. Yeah, if they had done a pay-per-view, let's say a Great American Bash pay-per-view in the summer of 1986, hell, they could add a musical act there because you know, they're fond of booking those guys and main event it with Flair and Dusty or, you know, he hadn't quite come up with the War Games concept yet, although that's sure as hell would have worked in 86 because you just throw the horsemen out there and you could just pick Magnum and Dusty and the Rock and Rolls and then, you know, pick whatever fifth guy you want. Now, this show here is taped August 17th, 86, so it's only six days old, in the Charlotte Coliseum, which... Believe it or not, it still stands. And I say believe it or not because in Charlotte, for the, to replace the Coliseum, they built a new Coliseum for the Charlotte Hornets in 1988. It was this big 23,000 seat building, a marvel, the jewel of the NBA when it opened. And it was torn down in 2007. The, the thing only lasted 19 years. It, it's amazing to think back like that and the Palace at Auburn Hills in the late 80s. And Palace at Auburn Hills just got torn down as well. 
host of SummerSlam 93 and I think that famous Nitro where Luger beat Hogan. I guess, I guess Luger could go over for the world title in Detroit or Auburn Hills, like, <laughs> as it were. But this Bojangles Coliseum, as it is now known, still stands. And it's kind of funny how it got replaced and then it outlived the building that they put up, which 23,000 seats feels a little big. I, there's not too many places that could get away with that. Montreal built a huge arena for hockey, like 21,500 because they knew they could sell every seat. And in Chicago, because Chicago is such a great sports town, the United Center is just gigantic, which I think goes into why WWE doesn't really run the United Center since SummerSlam 94 opened the building effectively. And they run the All-State Arena rather than, which which is just a better venue for wrestling. So the bash was hot. You get titles changing all over the place. The Rock and Rolls had just won the tag team titles from the Midnight Express not long before this, in fact, one night prior in Philadelphia. The way it feels like, if if you've never watched this, and if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably had your taste of Jim Crockett Promotions 1986. But I'm just thinking from a ratings perspective, it's much more likely that a fan would have watched 1998 WWF, or at least it's fresher in your memory. It's 22 years versus 34 years. And... 86 Crockett kind of reminds me of 98 WWF because everything is so hot and everybody on the card matters. Now, it might be a function of this show where literally everybody really matters on this program. But like when Jimmy Valiant comes out there, he's got his little Paul Jones's army thing. I almost called him Jim Jones's army. (laughs) That's a completely different thing. They took their marching orders to the Kool-Aid stand. But it, it all starts at the top with, with any great promotion. Uh, my theory as we've gone along the last, you know, five or six years of WWE basically floundering for much of that time is you're only as good as your top baby face. Because you notice that like WWE has always had their best periods when they had a super over baby face at the top. And we haven't really had one of those for quite some time. And there was a little bit more buzz when Daniel Bryan was hot in late 2013 and 2014. They didn't go with him. And, well, when by the time they finally did, he was too hurt to even matter. But what 86 JCP is like, the, the way, or at least the way the show is set up. It's like going to a restaurant, or more accurately, I guess, going to a wedding where, you know, the food is, you know, a little bit, little bit out there and you know you're, you're gonna have like maybe more of it at least if it's a buffet style sort of thing but this is like having a dinner where you have lobster scallops and bacon and steak i just wrote down the three things that were like kind of fancy and <laughs> i liked a lot i was trying to think of a chicken one but i really couldn't like i, I, I like chicken quite quite a lot but i i don't really think of it as like a fancy dish at all but yeah, like a really nice porterhouse steak or, you know, Kobe beef or whatever, a lobster and you know, scallops. Scallops are great, but scallops wrapped in bacon just bring it to the next level. So I'm so excited for both for this and I am quite hungry. So let's get to it. It's the NWA Worldwide from August 23rd, 1986. <laughs>
I'm keeping those bumpers for a little bit because they make me happy. And when I get sick of them, I'll ditch them and I'll go back to whatever I was doing before. You know what else makes me happy is Bobby Eaton walking to the ring for a wrestling match. And this one was funny because some dude, they, they kind of have to walk through the crowd. There's not like a defined aisle. I think they might have had that deal where like the faces come in from one side, the heels come in from the other, or maybe, maybe they just shot it from a different angle than some of the later matches. Some, some dude puts out his fist like Bobby Eaton is going to fist bump him. In the year 1986, by the way, Eaton just walks by him as if he never lived. And then, then he does like the SWAT after he's already passed him. The lesson there is that Bobby Eaton is the greatest. And this is the cold open to the show as, Dennis Condry right behind him, Jim Cornette, and of course Big Bubba Rogers, because this is this is eighty-six and Big Bubba has just come in and gotten smashed over the head with a chair. Which by the way is the episode that I wanted to do this week, where Big Bubba gets smashed over the head by Dusty Rhodes with a chair and then wears it like a necktie and his hat stays on somehow. It's one of the great sort of introductions of a character or Maybe it wasn't the first time he was on TV, but it was close enough. Now, the Rock and Roll Express, they come out. You can hear their song a lot clearer, weirdly enough, even though the crowd is absolutely insane. You could say that they're electric. And yeah, it is the Electric Light Orchestra. ELO, Rock and Roll is King, which was a top 20 song, it turns out, in 20 different countries. But I, it, I saw it did not reach number one in any of those countries. I, I thought that that was interesting. Closest it came was number two in Poland, which the first YouTube comment on the video for that is like some dude who's very, very proud that it reached number two in Poland. Now, the rock and rolls, Ricky and Robert have to absolutely fight through the crowd there because they're so insanely popular. And they brand new tag team champs. They had won it from the Midnights on August the 16th, so the night before this was taped in Philadelphia. Two out of three falls match. And just an incredible level of popularity. And I have, I have a note on, like, them versus the imitators. While I enjoy the some of the imitator teams more, uh, there's a certain thing that the rock and rolls do much better. We finally meet our announcers for this. It should be David Crockett and Tony Schiavone, who does some ring announcing on this program as well. So we start out after, I don't say a lengthy delay, but it takes them a while to get everything lined up because everything's so insane in there. So we Eaton and Ricky Morton, and they just have an extended lockup before Eaton finally controls two shoulder blocks by beautiful Bobby. But then Morton scores with a monkey flip, and then Eaton ends up taking a shot from Robert Gibson in the corner, who has got, like, something around his waist. Turns out it was a back brace, but it's not a very good one. I mean, Hogan had more tape on his ribs at WrestleMania 2 than what Gibson has. Of course, maybe that was the message that they were sending all along. So we get another lengthy lockup. And a knee by Condry, who was in there, who's got the sort of, he's got a bandage on his forehead. So that, he might, there might have been a gig scar from Philly the night before. Condry immediately tries to go for a pile driver, but then gets backdropped. And get, Ricky, Gibson, I don't think ever gets in this match, which is really strange. Is Ricky Morton, it's some ground and pound punches. And that's the thing with the Rock and Roll Express. That I was reminded of, just like that spot, it hit me, hit me in the head like a shot. So the rock and rolls weren't just some flippy team, like what the young bucks are sometimes characterized as, or or any number of different modern teams. 
yeah, they they could do the high flying stuff for the era, but they could friggin' fight too. Like they could be brawlers in there, which is why they could face any wide variety of teams. That's the difference between them and the Rockers. I think there's less of a difference that the Fantastics could brawl a little bit too, but I don't think as good as the Rock and Rolls. And the Rockers, I you, you just don't see them. They they seem to fit more into the modern era of you know, doing high spots, you know, because you can. As they end up going to commercial and come back and it's Eaton and Morton in there, Bobby goes right to the eyes, uh, Irish whip and duck, but Eaton lifts Morton up and drops him into the turnbuckle, which I don't know why more guys don't do that move. I mean, I think it's a little bit more safe than, say, I don't know, a buckle bomb that has sidelined two people that I could think of, Sting forever, I think it was, and... Well, it was Finn Balor had something as well, but maybe maybe that injury was on the outside. I I can't remember. They do. Ricky Morton ends up in trouble here, and I'm like, oh, you don't say. Ricky Morton is uh, playing the face in peril as Condry gets a side backbreaker, which gets a two count. They mention Gibson with the back brace on. I mean, those those bash tours. They went night after night after night. And, you know, if you get injured, shit, you're going to work unless you're really, really hurt and, like, you can heal up in one day. Morton continues to get worked over by the Midnights, as only they can. And Eaton, with an Irish whip, hits a backbreaker, holds him, and then turns him around and scores with a power slam. Condry then hot shots Morton on the top rope. Oh, to my point about the buckle bomb is it's easier, I think, to take a bump if your face is going into it than if your if your your back is going into it. I mean, it's just common sense. You can see see what's happening. As Corny then jabs the racket right into Ricky Morton, so he's got to get his shot in. It's interesting. I mean, important to let Cornette get in the shot rather than Big Bubba because you know. Although I guess there's heat in Big Bubba doing it because you know they got two guys down there and everything. As Condry is, he's got like a painting combination. On Morton, where he's just trying to hold the shoulders down with his hands. You don't really see that a lot. But back on their feet, Morton reverses an Irish whip, gets a sleeper on there, and Eaton runs in the ring, and he breaks it up right away. And we end up then with a kind of a botched O'Connor roll by Morton onto Condry. Not like I'm going to quibble too much with these teams. And Jim Cornette hops in the ring with tennis racket in hand, just smacks (laughs) smacks Ricky Morton over the head with it. Now the referee had turned, but he it, he was he was distracted, which is why Cornette got in there, but then he turned back around in time to see Cornette using the tennis racket which leads to the disqualification win for the Rock and Roll Express. And they kind of get out of there before they get caught in the ring and they can do some damage. It's a little bit of brawling on the outside of the ring. But the important thing with this bout, the, the crowd was just absolutely hot as hell for this and it's way more fun i know it's the only way you can do wrestling now is with people on little television screens who by the way has has any dude whipped their dick out on that because i'm fully expecting that to happen by like the third smackdown or whatever but so much more fun when the crowd is hot as hell into it and invested in literally everything that happens Pulls him up. I see, I see Ricky's got him. There's Cornette with that racket. Caught him right in the back of the neck. And there's your disqualification. 
Why is David Crockett so nervous and unsure of himself? First of all, your family owns the company. I don't think you're getting fired, yet he sounds more unsure of himself than me talking about accounting software. Anyway, we got promos now for an upcoming show, September 6th at the Philadelphia Civic Center, which is 8.30 p.m. start. I think of wrestling shows back in those days, like, hmm. 8.30 feels like late, but then they would also cram a little bit more in in a shorter period of time. This one would draw 4,500, which is well down from the show the night before this taping on August 16th, which is 7,000. And I kind of researched this based on the premise of does if there's a Philadelphia Phillies game that night in the city, and there's also a wrestling event, whether it be Jim Crockett Promotions or the WWF at the Spectrum, especially at the Spectrum because that's on the same grounds as where the Phillies were playing at the Vet at that time, does one attendance affect the other? And more specifically, would a Philly big Phillies game impact a Jim Crockett Promotions card in terms of attendance? I kind of went in on that premise. And on (laughs) September 6th, Phillies played the Dodgers and they drew 22,394 for a, a, I was going to say for a show featuring Fernando Valenzuela versus Kevin Gross, but I don't remember. I, I, I did write that Fernando pitched that night. It's the 86 Phillies that we're talking about here. They're a good team, but they were 20 something games behind the Mets. On August 16th, the Phillies were also at home, a double header against the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates, but they drew 31,349. On the night with the higher wrestling attendance. So maybe my, maybe my theory is just crap with that. So upcoming on that show, we got Nikita and Magnum for the title in a cage. On the car, the raging bull, Manny Fernandez and Hector Guerrero will take on the team of Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. A lumberjack match. Jimmy the Boogie Boogie Man Viant takes on number one, Paul Jones. The Midnight Express with Jim Cornette go up against Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch. And a match for the U.S. heavyweight title, they'll put him in a cage. Nikita Koloff, Magnum TA, at the Civic Center, Saturday, September 6th. And it all starts at 830. The NWA, the Major League of Professional Wrestling, returning to Philadelphia. Whew. Am I glad they didn't say which one of them was already the champion? I mean, that'd be a really bad screw-up on a wrestling program. But the other thing that excites me about 1986 Jim Cocker promotions is, yeah, you got all those stars, and that's nice, but you need something underneath to keep me entertained. And that is here in the form of the great, the legendary, greetings from Allentown legend, Shaska Watley, who is very excited about his upcoming bout. He, he loses to Bobby Jaggers, one half of the Kansas Jayhawks by disqualification, so no big deal. But this is Shaska effing Watley we're talking about here. The man who cut Jimmy Valiant's hair because he was programmed by Paul Jones's army. And apparently that's that's going to be some sort of lumberjack match, it seems. And, well, Shaska, he's very, very excitable. First of all, you, Jimmy Valiant, is going to be a ball head geek. And now you want a lumberjack match. Don't you know who the lumberjacks are going to be? The ingenious Paul Jones. He's going to show you that none other than the army <laughs> is going to be out there as lumberjacks. See, we bypassing you, hillbilly. That's right, Jimmy Valiant. All your hillbilly friends, they're 
Philadelphia, they don't know that you're a bald-headed geek. Now it's time to humiliate you. That's right, because you are on your way out. You said it yourself, and we're going to make sure that you go. I want you to understand, in Philadelphia, the boss got his major plan, and you are going to suffer because of it. <laughs> I can't think of any wrestler, and, and I kind of think of them like athletes, where you go year by year, so this is like the Shaska slash Pez Watley 1986 season where you know kind of a wrestler who had a long career but that has like one spike year that is just so out of line with anything else like I can't tell for you a Pez Watley match from like 1984 or, or any other year really but like I don't know it just feels like this one little magical run even even though it's still well entrenched in the mid card up next we got the two Russians but not Nikita, so I don't get to play it backwards to see if he's backmasking something when he's talking like blah, 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 blah. See, Nikita, he's got too much stuff going on. And, you know, he can't be bothered for interviews, which is fine because we get to hear from Uncle Ivan, who is, if anything, is probably the best speaking and easy to understand Russian. And a hell of a smart guy. The last time in Philadelphia with the best of seven shooters against Magnum TA, he ran out of the ring. You American people, and you Magnum T.A., thought for certain that your hero, Magnum T.A., was going to win United States heavyweight title on this particular night. But you found nephew Nikita's strength to be too much, his determination too much. So you ran out of the ring like a little rat. But now, this time, coming to Philadelphia, it is for United States heavyweight title because since the last time we were there, nephew Nikita has defeated Magnum T.A., so it's now. Gee, thanks for spoiling the match, Uncle Ivan. Makes me wonder why they didn't just flip this show and have, you know, Flair and Dusty still be in the middle, but you move the tag team match to the end, and then at the beginning, you have the Magnum Nikita match that, like, I don't think people are going to tune out. But and, and then you would have your interview airing in the right place. I don't know. They did a lot of live to tape back then, but I maybe that's why. As I always think about Ivan Koloff and the fact that he leaves the WWF in eight, late '83, right at the same time Hogan shows up, and then he's basically blacklisted. He's never put in the Hall of Fame like every other WWF champion from that era. So why did he get blacklisted? And for some reason, I have this bizarre image, and it is very friggin' bizarre, of Vince McMahon sitting there watching 1986 Crockett and getting pissed off because Uncle Ivan spoiled the finish of Magnum versus Nikita later in the show, and Patterson didn't get to Vince with what the results were. mentioned earlier kind of comparing rick flair versus dusty Rhodes to hulk hogan versus andre the giant and yeah they're probably different it's an apples and oranges sort of thing but this did main event starcade two years in a row just as hogan and andre technically main evented wrestlemania four three and four it's uh, it is the main event of wrestlemania four because it was the biggest match that they could announce ahead of time to announce the show but either way it's two all-time legends and two of the best talkers ever 
And I, I discussed that a couple of weeks ago, how Dusty's talking a, aged well in that when he was older, he was he was still, I think, as good as he was before, even if he was in that silly WWF character that they created for him. I mean, just think of, you know, the Arn Anderson is a walk behind her from WCW 94. But what's also funny to me in comparing it to Hogan and Andre is, well, you kind of have to take this with a grain of salt because you have to actually believe what Hulk Hogan is saying. Like, oh, he wanted to be like Andre the Giant. Well, no kidding that Ric Flair wanted to be Dusty Rhodes to the point where he wanted to call himself Ramblin' Ricky Rhodes or some crap like that. And I think the lesson to anybody out there who hears that, or like, oh, Ric Flair wanted to be like somebody else and then he became what he did, just blaze your own friggin' trail, all right? This match was taped for NWA Pro, and I don't know why I feel the need to make that distinction, because it's taped in the exact same place as the other matches on this episode of Worldwide. So the apron said that, and they probably, you know, changed that over shortly afterwards. His baby doll accompanies Dusty Rhodes to the ring, as she had been doing for pretty much all of 1986. Now, Big Dust had lost the NWA title in St. Louis not long before this. It was only a couple of weeks. Flair comes to the ring. He's got a bandage on his head. But what's great about this is, and this this is a key technique in announcing and broadcasting that doesn't really, well, it doesn't apply to me. I'm doing, I'm a solo guy doing a podcast. But if you're announcing a sporting event, and Vin Scully was the absolute master of this, staying silent during the big moments and letting the crowd tell the story because they're going insane when Dusty comes out. They're going insane when Flair comes out. Just stay quiet. Let the crowd tell the story. Like Vin Scully, after the ball went through Buckner's legs in the 86 World Series, he was quiet for like a minute and a half. And all you hear is the crowd. And then Vin talks for about 30, 40 seconds, sums it all up in a way that he only could. And I kind of wonder, is like, are we even going to get announcers, or is this going to be like that Flair Steamboat <laughs> Landover Maryland match that's on tape but has no announcers? Dusty is billed at 270 pounds, to which I call bullshit. Is this match taking place on the moon or in Charlotte, North Carolina? And finally, okay, you wonder, why are they putting this match on television when everything else is just so loaded up on this show? I mean, yeah, you could put it on another week. Well... There's, there's a very good reason why, and David Crockett and Tony Schiavone explain why. All right, Tony, you introduce it. That match was a match in Charlotte, North Carolina, the world's heavyweight title. Ric Flair, the champion, it's a rematch. Dusty Rhodes, it all started in Kansas City. It went on to St. Louis. That's where Flair won the title. And then Charlotte, North Carolina. And David, what a turn of events we saw, we witnessed. That's right. Fans, we... We tried to explain it to you, but we really can't. You have to see it to believe it. So let's go to the tape right now. Just to provide some background and color on this. I don't mean that in the wrestling sense. I mean, you know, more description. Dusty lost the title on the 9th in St. Louis. On the 7th in Kansas City, he had a match with Flair that aired, I think, only on the Kansas City All-Star Wrestling show. In any event, Tully attacked Dusty with a chair, hit him over the leg several times with it to soften him up for the title change a couple of days later. So we're reintroducing the Tully and Dusty feud, which I covered a long time ago back, I think it was episode 61, Dusty and Tully, that was from June of 1987. And we joined the match in progress, because God knows we can't fit three full matches of this magnitude on this one show, including commercials. 
As Dusty gets a suplex, suplexes Ric Flair from the apron back in. That gets a two-count corner whip and a clothesline. As I was actually surprised that Flair didn't do the flip into the corner. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't do that. And after that clothesline, he kind of lands near the ropes. And Dusty goes for the pinfall. One, two, and Baby Doll suddenly puts Ric Flair's foot on the rope, which is interesting. Dusty Rhodes doesn't know what happened. Apparently, he's being betrayed by a woman in the month of August, which, you know, is something that would repeat itself some four years down the line. But he doesn't know, and neither does Flair. So, but Flair does take advantage, goes to work on the leg, locks in the figure four, the sequence that you hear in the cold open to this very podcast. And then Dusty goes to turn it over because he understands the science of the figure four. If you just reverse it, it locks in the hold on the other guy somehow. But Baby Doll stops it for a second and basically flip, makes sure it doesn't get turned over. So, okay, yeah, she's up to no good. She's kind of, it, it's apparent to everybody in the place with the exception of the two guys in the ring, which is an interesting way of booking it. As Flair then takes Dusty's leg out again, goes for the figure four. Dusty kicks him off and into the referee. Now, this made me wonder, like, referees who are assigned Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair matches. Now, I understand that it was usually Tommy Young in this case, but let's just think about it from a statistical perspective, and and the kayfabe hat is on. Like, what is the batting average of the referee being knocked unconscious in a Ric Flair-Dusty Rhodes match? It had to have happened, like, 64% of the time. So... You get assigned to that match. You know that the odds are like five and eight that you're going to be knocked unconscious. Just, uh, again, kayfabe here, but yeah, uh, I would I would have to say somebody should actually break that down. Although that that that's a hell of a lot of matches. So maybe just stick to the televised ones or the ones that we had detailed results. So they slug it out in the center. Dusty gets kind of kicked in the knee, then score. But then he you know fights back, scores with a clothesline, goes for a pin. For some reason, even though he knows that there's no ref, like you'd think that with the number of times there have been ref bumps in Dusty Flair matches, that Dusty should be able to time it in his head to know that the referee is going—he's going to be out for at least two or three minutes. And then we get a moment that's kind of hilarious because of just how blatant it is. As Baby Doll has grabbed a chair from ringside and just casually hops in the ring and swings it at Dusty Rhodes' head. Now she missed. It was kind of funny, the whole visual. Johnny, baby doll is walking around the ring. She's got a chair in her hand. The crowd is all now hollering. Where's the referee? He's still out. Dusty Rose is looking around. Here he goes. Look out. Look out. No, she missed. Dusty Rose has got the chair. Baby doll went after Dusty with a chair. What in the world has happened to baby doll? Whoa. So after she misses, Dusty gets the chair, starts working over Flair with it, but Tommy Young has now awoken from his slumber. He sees it and disqualifies Dusty, which allows Tully Blanchard now to hit the ring. And all, the first thing I thought of is, wow, apparently he's got no hard feelings with Baby Doll, even though he's like kind of slapping her around, like less than a year before this. So they're, they're about to put the boots to Dusty and maybe break his leg again, but 
Magnum TA and the Rock and Roll Express make the save. It's a shame they could have had a war games, like I said, with all those guys. So, I don't get it. This is one of the heel turns that, like, alright, I gotta, I gotta break it down here. Because it, maybe I won't go into the same granular detail as Shaska Watley laying it in to Jimmy Valiant with mind control and all that. But what, do women gravitate towards cruel men? Well, that's a question that I can't answer because that's, that's, that's psychology. The answer, the best answer that I can give is maybe, I guess. Some do, some don't. Was she tired of Dusty Rhodes? I, maybe. I mean, she would have been ahead of the curve on that. It would probably be about another year and a half before the Crockett Territory fans would really start to tire of him. So I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, the, does she does she not like black people? Well, I don't, I don't know about that. But let's let's check out a little bio from one of those wiki websites that kind of does like bios on wrestling personalities. Nicola Ann Roberts Bird. Born February 13th, 1962, so yeah, she's only 24 here, is an American semi-retired professional wrestler and valet, devout racist, better known by her ring name, the Perfect Ten Baby Doll. Oh, devout racist, okay. Well, I understand that somebody could, you know, just add that in. It, it wasn't me, but it kind of made me laugh when I when I looked through that. So, the story goes, the, the 411 on this, that's, that's the old information in the United States. <laughs> like, that, that's a, that's a phrase that literally, like, I'm in the last generation of people who would understand what the hell 411 is. It's cause I think it's something else in Canada. She married Sam Houston, the wrestler, around this time, and probably broke him in half on the honeymoon, but that, that's not my story to tell. I, I've always heard this that, Oh yeah, Baby Doll married Sam Houston and Dusty didn't like that she married a guy who was a lot lower on the card. Dare I say enhancement. Now, in shoot interview, she says, well, he was in the WWF at the time. Like, well, no, he wasn't in the WWF in 86. He was, he was out in the Kansas City territory, I believe, at the time. I know he was working, well, he worked Houston for Paul Bosch when he was doing the WWF thing in 87, but he's in Central States in 86. Wedding takes place July 30th of 86. Hmm, that is not long before this all takes place. But what I don't get from the, the other part of the story is supposedly Sam Houston and Baby Doll were introduced to each other by Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA. So if Dusty, well, I don't know. You think of Vince McMahon trying to split up various couples. I mean, God knows he, he tried like hell with Rusev and Lana all, all those years. And they're still happily married as Rusev is doing whatever the hell he's doing on social media. I don't even know how to, how to explain it. But yeah, I don't, I, 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 I don't get it. This is one of the things where it's like, okay, so now she's with the horseman, but she goes right back to the dude who was like slapping her around. Okay, she wants to hang out with Ric Flair. I don't know if she's necessarily Ric Flair's type. I mean, I know Ric Flair likes a certain kind of woman when it comes to uh, things in the in the nether regions. <laughs> I just want to be clear for those of you out there who may not know this, is that Ric Flair prefers 70s Bush. And I'm not talking about, like, when George H.W. Bush was running the CIA. That's not the kind of 70s Bush that I'm talking about. It was, like, the kind that you would see... Well, you, you can kind of figure out where I'm going, but 
Luckily, this is an NWA show from the mid-1980s, so Ric Flair is obligated by law, just like the Jake Roberts thing I was talking about last week, to, you know, do a little promo, which is good, because maybe he can shed some light on this. The world might not believe it, but we all knew that it was coming. It was inevitable. It was a fact of life that sooner or later... The blood bomber woo, and the blood bombshell were walking all together. You see, when you talk about living a lifestyle of the rich and famous, and we all know that the doll likes nice cars and pretty clothes, that she styles the profiles that who better could she be walking with than the four horsemen? The world champion, the national TV champion, the world TV champion. I'm talking about Blanchard, Flair, and the Andersons. Dial, tell them how it is. Oh, that's right. You know, there's nothing like the style of the rich and famous because if you're a champion, you've got money. If you're not a champion, you're absolutely nothing. And I'm not a nothing. I'm a champion just like with the you rest of the You Let bet. me tell you, Bob Connell. It's no secret that the doll has always wanted to do what tell him, doll. Oh, you bet. Ride Space Mountain. All right. Now, we're going to ride Space Mountain right out of Shadow Coliseum and Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. The doll's not going to have to lay there at night thinking about something to say to you guys that was never true. You see, Magnum, she never liked that skinny little neck of yours or those skinny little arms. She always liked a real man. And now it's the four horsemen whoo, and one man. And ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, diamonds are forever and so is Baby Doll. All right. Woo! Okay, that still doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, she wanted to be with the world champion. Well, guess what? Ric Flair was the world champion for a hell of a long time in 86 before he lost it to Dusty. Pretty much the first seven months of the year. And then he lost it for two weeks tops and then wins it back from Dusty before the bash is even over. And yet she's still hanging out with him that entire time. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, maybe, maybe she thought Dusty was black. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I maybe who, who knows? Maybe that's what that thing is all about. Maybe there's something on her Twitter account that I could maybe, maybe shed some light on why something like that. Ooh, I'm not, ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm not touching that one with a 10 foot clown pole as one of my dear friends, Bob Heck from Bob Heck Entertainment likes to say. But my, my God, okay. So I'm thinking now to that angle from 1988 with the envelope. Which was supposedly baby doll with pictures of Rick, of, of Dusty Rhodes with a black woman. Which, yeah, so what? Okay. What, what the hell is the big deal with that? You would only really care about that if you were racist. So maybe I've gotten down to the bottom of <laughs> what the hell Wikipedia edit was about. Because, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what else it could be. But luckily Dusty Rhodes is here for the Model UN mandated right of reply because when somebody turns heel on you you should be allowed you should be permitted to you know address it for at least 1 minute and 36 seconds if you can figure this one out send it home you're a better man than I am let me tell you something i'm glad now everybody chose a side i'm glad now on this fall session that everyone knows where the lines are drawn 
I'm glad now that Nature Boy Ric Flair, the lowest form of athlete in this country, along with that Jezebel, bring it all. Now then, draw the line. And if I can't afraid, lay in the same bed. Cause that's where the boogeyman's gonna get you. In the same bed. All of you gonna be gathered up one of these nights, one of these days, and I'm gonna come and get you. Tell that Blanchard, you should have broke my neck, daddy. You should have torn my heart out of my body. The whipping you're gonna get is gonna be shameful. The whipping you're gonna get, Iron Anderson, is gonna be shameful. The whipping you get, Ole Anderson, is gonna be shameful. And the whipping you get, Ric Flair, is gonna be shameful and baby doll. Shame on you, mama. I know you better than anybody. I know you better than anybody. It's gonna be shameful. Even if you don't think Dusty Rhodes is the greatest talker of all time, you have to admit that within the subgenre of men who have been betrayed by women, he is the best promo in the aftermath of that. Uh, Jezebel! Uh, Jezebel, not, not just a website for those of you who are unaware of history. It, it is a character from the Bible, the Book of Kings, or the Hebrew Bible. So I'm going back to some Old Testament stuff here. According to the biblical narrative, Jezebel, along with her husband, instituted the worship of Baal and Asherah on a national scale. In addition, she violently purged the prophets of Yahweh from Israel, damaging the reputation of the Umri dynasty. For these offenses, the Umri dynasty was annihilated, with Jezebel herself suffering the gruesome death of defenestration. I actually thought that Mike Bilberry was going to be defenestrated for his comments last week. Sadly, Sadly, he was not. He was just sent home. So anyway, in later Christian tradition, Jezebel is associated with false prophets. And then later became that weird website that I would never read that was part of that Gawker Deadspin family. I have no idea if it even still exists or if Hogan put that out of business, too. I felt it was proper to use Saved by the Bell bumper number 7 for this next match because it's Magnum TA versus Nikita Koloff match seven of a best of seven series. Well, match seven sort of, which I'll get to in a second as Tony Schiavone is doing the ring announcing in Charlotte. So man, man's got to get paid. He's going to have a lot of kids someday. <laughs> so, so he's going to, he's going to need those extra Crockett bucks. Now back in May, Nikita, there was a contract signing for a U.S. title match and Nikita who does not exactly have a way with words, insulted Magnum T.A.'s mom. Because Magnum, for whatever reason, decided to bring his mother to a contract signing. I'm not entirely sure why he would do that. <laughs> it's just a little strange. And he, he was uh, a little upset at, at this. And in the in, in all of this, he ended up sucker-punching Bob Mr. Magoo Geigel. Because Magnum took offense and Bob Geigel took offense to the way that he took offense. And Magnum said to Bob Geigel, reprimand this. What would you have done if it had been your mom out there? Tell me that. The United States champion is expected to keep himself in good conduct at all times. 
Let that be noted. Well, reprimand this. I really want to compare Stone Cold Steve Austin to Magnum TA. I mean, both of them had their careers cut short. But Magnum is kind of like Austin would be 12 years later in that he really never gave a damn about authority. We, even even before this, you had the whole James Boys thing where they're under masks and this and that kind of stuff. He just punches Bob Geigel in the face, like reprimand this. I, I never heard of that before. Must be one of those great minds things. But when I did a cable access TV show with my good friend Bob Heck of Bob Heck Entertainment back in summer of '97, there was one week, probably about like the fourth week of the show, where it didn't air. Because somebody forgot to air, put the tape on or, or some such nonsense. So I got up in the middle of the show and I said, here's a technical difficulty and moon the camera. And then later made the jerking off motion. It's a technical this. Because <laughs> I didn't buy the explanation. I, I felt very Magnum TA in that moment, as it turns out, even though I didn't know about that particular incident. So Magnum gets stripped of the title. But for whatever reason, instead of having a tournament, which JCP, WCW, whatever, they, they love to have tournaments. But instead, they do something a little bit more fair here, which is because you got the former champion and the number one contender, Nikita Koloff. They decided to do a best of seven series, which is great because now you got the Great American Bash coming up and you can spot these matches all over the tour. It's like Booker T and that other guy. I can't remember his name. They had a best of seven series in 98 WCW. I don't know what happened to that other guy, but I know Booker T, you know, still around as an announcer from time to time. Now, in this series, leading up to match number quote-unquote seven, Nikita won the first three matches. And you think, okay, well, that's that's strange. Now, but now... Magnum has to make the comeback, and he, in fact, wins the next three, which is kind of an unusual pattern for, for somebody who follows sports like me and, like, the best-of-seven series. There's not a lot of situations in sports where a team will win the first three and then lose the next three. I mean, 0-3 comebacks don't happen very often. At that point in 1986, it had only happened once in professional sports history, the 1975 New York Islanders. Actually, I think the 1942 Stanley Cup Finals or something like that. But that, that was pretty much ancient history at that point. But the rare three wins, three losses co combo, you saw it in 1975 with the the Islanders came back from 3-0 down to beat the Penguins in 75. And then in the next series, they came from 3-0 down to force a game seven against the Flyers. So kind of like, you know, both of their series then are kind of like this leading into this match number, quote-unquote, seven. Also the Portland Trailblazers and the Dallas Mavericks in 2003, which is as close as the NBA has ever come to having a team come back from 0-3 down. The Mavs ended up winning game seven there. Magnum is 27 years old, and Nikita is also 27 years old, which just reminds me that the top stars... I don't know. A lot of them seem to be younger back in the day versus now where it seems like everybody is 35 years old, whether it be Owens, Rollins, whatever. Actually, I don't know what Rollins' age is, but he looks about 35, and I don't feel like looking it up because it means I'd have Seth Rollins traces on my phone, and I quite frankly don't like that. So I said match quote-unquote seven because they already did match seven already in Philadelphia. 
And apparently Bob Geigel himself was the referee, and it went to a no contest. Now, I don't know the particulars of that, and I really don't care, because it led to that match being on this show instead, which I'm happy for. David Crockett and Tony Schiavone both remarked that the there's a lot of electricity in the air and that you can cut it with a knife. And it's a good thing Gorilla Monsoon didn't hear that because otherwise they would owe that guy royalties for that. Of course, of course, Vince McMahon turned off the broadcast since Ivan spoiled the finish of this match upcoming, according to my earlier theory. So the two guys, they're a little bit wary of each other. They've wrestled a lot. You know, they they don't want to give up too much too soon. It's kind of like a game seven in hockey where teams are a bit tentative early in the game. I mean, with with very few exceptions. There was one Maple Leafs Bruins game two years ago that was like 2-2 in the first eight minutes of the game. But that that's pretty rare. But these guys are, are going to take it slow, and that's in fact what they do. But I can hear one kid faintly in the crowd saying, come on, Nikita, and... I don't know if I was just hearing things there, but if you're a little kid and you were cheering for the commie bastard in the Charlotte Coliseum, bravo! I mean, you, you've got a set of stones. It, it was definitely a boy's voice, I could tell. Because they kind of have a draw on the first lockup, second one. Magnum grabs a side headlock, gets thrown off. Then he hits a crossbody for a very early two-count. Drop kick by Magnum. Yes, he had that in the arsenal. Sends Magnum over the top row where they have to say, oh yeah, it was the momentum that carried Nikita over and it was not intentional. Which is another reason why I hate the over the top rope rule. Yes, it allowed them to book other finishes, but it was always a crappy finish. But then, then they would have to explain away simple stuff like that in the course of other matches. So Magnum grabs the left arm of Nikita. He just starts going to work on it. Now, I don't know if there's a pre-existing injury. Nobody's got any taped ribs or back braces or knee braces or anything like that. So it's just, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're both healthy going into match number seven. Because you get some mat wrestling. Because you can tell that they're going to build this slowly to a hot finish. And Magnum's got a hold of the left arm. And Nikita is trying to roll away. And they're doing, like, a weird log roll thing. And they go all the way to the outside of the rink, but Magnum holds on to the arm even as they're standing on the floor, which is pretty funny. And sends Magnum, it sends Nikita, I should say, into the ring post back inside. Magnum goes up top. I don't recall seeing that very often. Hits a double axe handle, Randy Savage style. That gets a two count. Nikita misses a chop off an Irish whip, and Magnum just keeps on with the arm. Lock, putting on a wrist lock as then Nikita gets Magnum in the corner, kind of traps him over there as Tony and David say that the tape machines are rolling as Nikita misses a charge in the corner. Now, I'm wondering, like, I, I, I love the line of like, well, we'll keep the tape machines rolling if this very important match ends during the commercial break. Are they trying to imply that this is live or something? I mean... I would assume that this is airing at different points around the territory. I mean, I don't know where it, what, what time it aired in every market by any means, but you know, they always seem to like want to do that. I, 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 I don't, I don't get it. Like you can kind of pick it up from where you just were, but then again, they did go live to tape back then and, and things were different as Magnum goes goes for it all with like a big cross body not off the top or anything but just running the ropes and he flies out to the floor 
as Ivan ties up the referee, Tommy Young, on one side of the ring. Nikita does some damage on the floor, sending Nikita's back into the apron, which I don't have to tell you that that is the hardest part of the ring. Of course, the Soviets had that knowledge, I guess, before Americans, and that's why Nikita is doing it. He smartly stays on the back of Magnum TA. Nikita does. And these two guys are great opponents for each other, and I wonder if it's just a right place, right time sort of deal. Are they the right age? And they, they met at the absolute perfect time, and that's not a commentary on Magnum's accident being not that long after this. It, it was just the right time in the career for each of these guys. As Ivan's just kind of yelling at Magnum's down in the corner and Ivan's just sort of yelling at him. Cause, I don't know. I guess, I guess Ivan wants to stay out of it. You know, he spoiled the match for people watching the show earlier. So, you know, b- best that he stay away, at least for now, as slammed by Nikita and he locks in a bear hug. Although I wondered if it could be a gesture of love, but no, no, it's actually a bear hug. Magnum won't give it up, and he kind of hammers him on the back to break. Get a nice little hope spot with the sunset flip, but that's countered immediately by Nikita just punching him in the face. Always an effective counter to the sunset flip, and he goes right back to the bear hug, and Magnum is able to break it and hip toss Nikita out of that. The crowd is absolutely going insane during this, but that goes without saying because they've been like that for this entire freaking show. Irish whip and another drop kick by Magnum. And he goes for the pinfall, but he's near the ropes, near over where Ivan is. And before the referee could even count one, he grabs Magnum by the hair. So... What does Magnum TA do? He does what any good babyface would do at during the time period. He just casually rolls out of the ring and pile drives Ivan Cole off on the floor. So I'm going to lay off Ivan for spoiling this match because he probably had a serious head trauma from getting pile-driven on a concrete floor. I mean, this is the mid-1980s. Ted DiBiase would have been out for four months, or at least he would have just worked Japan for a while. One thing or the other. So I feel like we're building to a really hot finish. You can hear the crowd in that. I mean, you can barely hear the announcers over it. As now Crusher Khrushchev, yes, Barry Darso, is out to assist Ivan, who is out of it, on the floor. This means the referee, Tommy Young, is now distracted. So Magnum hits the belly-to-belly at a very inopportune time, has Nikita down for the count, but now he goes over to figure out what the hell is happening with Crusher Khrushchev, and they kind of get tangled up over there, and the referee is just sort of... I wouldn't say... He doesn't get bumped, but he kind of gets jostled a little bit. So his attention is diverted. When Magnum turns around, Nikita has grabbed his chain, and he goes up to the second rope, I guess to get a running start. And he does with the Russian sickle. And, of course, now Tommy Young turns around and can immediately make the count for the one, two, three.
Well, it hasn't been the greatest night if you're the fan of the baby faces or a fan of clean finishes, for that matter. Because you have kind of three screwy DQ-type finishes, or in this case, you got a chain getting involved there. But I think that this was very well done, because it protected Magnum as much as you possibly could, where you had three Russians involved in it. He was able to lay out Ivan on the outside, and only Nikita hitting his finisher with the aid of a chain was able to put him away. So yeah, I newfound respect for Magnum TA. I know in one of the more, well, I wouldn't say recent, it was over a year ago that I did the episode where he just grabbed and molested and kissed Baby Doll. I mean, sexual harassment par excellence on that one. But yeah, he's, he's, he's a complete badass here, so he certainly has my respect. Ivan, he's completely out of it on the floor. He's not, like I said, he's not going to be out for four months or anything. But when I think about this, and Magnum's accident not being too far in the future, only a couple of months, Nikita turns and all that, I mean, that happened at the right time for Nikita, where he needed to get out of the Soviet heel business. Yeah, Ivan Koloff could run with that a few more years. But there was definitely something, and I talked about this in the episode that I did on Nikita's face turn not that long ago. It was, it was well-timed, but it was, it obviously it was a necessity based on Magnum's injury. But it was well-timed because the days of the Soviet heel by that point... In 86, you got Gorbachev in there, and he's looking hes looking to make nice with everybody. Of course, it didn't really work out for him domestically. <laughs> you know, he had a nice five-year run in that Soviet promotion. But anyway, <laughs> hell of a match with Nikita Koloff and Magnum TA. And I have to say that the Place to Be Nation greatest WCW match ever, which covers the years 1981 right up through the end in 2001, I have to admit, I'm going to have an inherent bias for matches that I've covered on this show. I'm thinking Ronnie Garvin versus Ric Flair in the cage in Detroit, where Garvin wins the title. And also, maybe not the Flair-Dusty match here, because I didn't get to see the whole thing. But I'll bet you, you know, i got to put 100 matches on there. And, you know, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to remember too much. But the, the finish of this one... This was some outstanding stuff. You know, Tony, this is what I've been waiting on, baby. This is what I've been waiting on. You know, the city of brotherly love. What does that say right there? Philadelphia, PA. My people, my town. You understand, Tony Savato. And I know for a fact, not only is all the people, but my personal friends, like Willie Willie, like Chief Wahoo McDaniel, they all gonna be lumberjack. And I know no, Tony, if you happen to be there, if you happen to be there, you would be a lumberjack, wouldn't you? Yes, I, I, yes, I, I no, guess. Baby. Just like the promoter, just like Dirty Dick Murdoch, just like everybody that I can think of, they will be lumberjacked and listen to me, you, Paul Jones. No runner, no hat, no beaver, and no jabbing. Pistol Pez Wadley, you are the one that cut my hair, not Paul Jones. Paul Jones, I'm coming at you, and I will do some cutting. I know I said this exact thing about Akeem last week, but the same applies to Jimmy Valiant. He so rarely disappoints. He's always good for a nice dose of insanity during this time period with Paul Jones's army and that whole thing. Especially now that he's lost his hair at the Great American Bash. I'll probably rewind to the August 2nd edition of Worldwide at some point. You know, the next time I feel bad about life. 
for something and I need to watch 88, 86 Crockett again where he reveals his bald head. When he gets his head shaved, like, they don't like having that on YouTube for whatever reason. That, that always gets immediately removed for whatever reason. And the 86 bash, I don't think it's on the network. The match where he loses the hair match, but, uh, I, I do, I do, you know, I do wish that I could see that one because I know Shaska Watley is heavily involved. A Tony with the smart self-preservation there because when Jimmy Valiant says that you could be a lumberjack, just go along with it and say you could be a lumberjack. Don't, Jimmy Valiant is one of those guys, just, just agree with everything he says and, and he'll talk himself out. And it's perfectly fine. But he sure crams a lot into the one minute of promo time that he's given. Tony promotes the upcoming Midnight Express versus Wahoo McDaniel and Dick Murdoch match. And I immediately think that Cornette's going to march in there with the tennis racket and start talking. Because I figured that the Cornette promo was on every show. But no, it was not legally mandated according to the JCP charter, despite what I may have believed. Instead, we get the other guys, Wahoo McDaniel and Dick Murdoch. And holy crap, would I never want to be on the bad side of these guys. Can you imagine, like, going up to, like, these two guys at a bar and, like, Hey, Wahoo, not tough enough to buy us around? Well, you know, Murdoch and I know fools, you know, they're going to have to rebound. They're going to have to beat somebody to get a little bit of their name back. You know, they're down now. And the only way when you get down at the bottom of the ladder, you got to whip somebody on the rung above you. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Midnight. You picked the wrong two guys. I think you're going to find that out. You know, Wahoo, the last time it was amazing at the crowd in Philadelphia, it was amazing at the response. The people in Philadelphia are with the NWA. They're with Jump Crockett Promotions, the finest wrestling organization in the world today. And they have never seen such an array of talent that what Jump Crockett Promotions puts in there. And Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, you've got to prove something, just like Wahoo said. You got blistered, you got burned, you lost it right there in Philadelphia to a very, very great tag team combination in a Rock and Roll Express. Well, bring it all together Saturday, September the 6th, as Wahoo and Dick Murdoch are going to be there. Funny thing about Dick Murdoch promos is he always takes a giant shit on the WWF in like 85 and 86. 85 when he's in Mid-South, now here in Crockett 86, he's kind of taking a shot, it's a little bit more oblique, but he could, he could never resist doing that. It makes me wonder... Beginning in 85, they lose the tag titles, him and Adonis, to the U.S. Express. And that that's fine, but I, d- I don't know what the nature of his departure from the WWF. I mean, it couldn't have been that terrible because he was allowed to wrestle and land a standing dropkick in the 1995 Royal Rumble. One of my favorite random moments in mid-90s WWF history, by the way. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. And, of course, Murdoch... Couldn't exactly, you know, make the shoot interview scene in retirement because by the time June 96 rolls around, he had passed away. Now, this video, as I said, has two episodes of JCP on it back to back. But it also has, just out of nowhere, a Paul Orndorff promo with Ken Resnick promoting an upcoming match at Madison Square Garden, which would have been around this time. In fact, it might have been August 25th of 86 where he was facing Corporal Kirshner, and this would have been not that long after the turn on Hogan. I'm not going to play that because, I mean, this, this is a freaking Crockett show. Because we got to get right back to sad David Crockett and sad Tony Schiavone, although Tony doesn't betray his emotions quite like David Crockett, who 
I enjoy more and more just because he kind of he he really lives and dies with this stuff. He's like he's like a hockey you know, like a Jack Edwards who just really really cares about what's going on, and it's you know makes some people feel one way and it makes other people feel the other way. The Russian nightmare defeated one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, Magnum T.A., a man that came from three down. He came back, Tony, to even, dead even, and it took three of them. I don't care what those guys say, it took three of them. And they're in the dressing room right now with Bob Cottle. And yeah, I guess Uncle Ivan is okay, although I think it had an effect on wrestling history in some ways, because Ted DiBiase saw this and said, well, this guy got pile-driven on the floor, and he's not out for three months. I, I can't go to that promotion, and that's why he went to the WWF when the UWF purchase went through. He said, I can't work for Jim Crockett. He doesn't book the injury angles of pile-drivers on the floor correctly. So, so it's Ivan Crusher and Nikita who has some very interesting comments, in my opinion. My nephew Nikita has not only made myself proud, Crusher Khrushchev proud, but more important, has made his country proud of him. And I'm sure the Kremlin will be sending over much rewards, many gifts. But nephew Nikita don't want these gifts. All he wants is the gift to serve his country. And the best way he can serve his country is to keep the new United States heavyweight belt that he just won off of this Magnum TA. Magnum T.A. has proven himself to be a very tough competitor. And I know with all the American pride he has inside, he'll be coming after Nephew. But Nephew Nikita is on the other hand now. He is holding the championship title, American title, the most prestigious title. Nephew Nikita is the first Russian-born athlete ever to hold I'm that. I want to talk about how Magnum T.A. come back and take three in a row from Nikita. Magnum T.A., I let you take three. I don't want to win four straight in a row. I like competition. Megatia, take good, hard look at this tiger. It's the last time you go and see it, Megatia. You are history. Oh. I am going to give Nikita credit on this front, is that I could actually understand what he was saying for a change, so I could actually comment on it. Is he suggesting that he threw three matches in a row? In order, Are you telling me that in the field, in the great sport of kings that is professional wrestling, that Nikita Koloff took a dive and laid down for his opponent for three straight matches just to get it to a match seven to build drama? I don't buy that for a second, okay? It's still real to me, damn it. Also, he keeps calling him MAGA TA, which has a completely different connotation in the year 2020 or 2016 or what have you. I don't don't know. I had to comment on something the way Nikita Koloff actually says things. They go back to sad Tony and and David at the desk. and They roll credits. We see Virgil Runnels, the whole deal. But that is it. For NWA Worldwide, a jam-packed edition from August 23rd, 1986. I do wish to inform you that the new Adam's Vision podcast will be coming out soon with the hypothetical dream card with all the weird rules that I came up with for SummerSlams 88 through 98, where you cannot reuse title matches, you know, not more than one world title match, can't reuse wrestlers, and can't use more than one match on a show. 
So it's interesting. Like, like in my case, I'll give you a taste. I couldn't choose a match from SummerSlam 1990 because I all, I wanted to choose the the I, I forget what it was called the Jake versus Bad News match, which was the Harlem Sewer Rats versus uh, Jake's uh, Snake Damien. But I, I I chose not to go with that one because you know I just had to leave one off. We were limited to ten. So that one will be out soon, probably before the next Greetings from Allentown drops. And GFA Live, as I talked about earlier, was delayed slightly, but that'll be back again soon. We're doing Best of the WWF Volume 20, you know, SummerSlam week, and also Keithy's birthday on Monday. So happy, happy birthday to him. I, I sent him the same picture that uh, was posted by Stephanie McMahon on Twitter, a picture of a the grand wizard of wrestling out of character a young vince and a very young stephanie just because i found it rather amusing now on steve bennett's regular podcast the sportscast he's got a couple of interesting interviews coming up the always humorous jim florentine and michael fabiano now of sports illustrated formerly of nfl media Apparently he had some interesting things to say about his maybe former <laughs> former places that he's been, but he is the fantasy expert at SI at this time. Now on the Our Vantage Point podcast, Joe Marana and Michael Quinn, they wrap up their royal flush of talkers, you know, the worst 10 talkers ever, uh, as nominated by the listeners. And I can't – I said this when they started doing it. I disagree with great vehemence of some of the people who are on that list. I mean, Lex Luger has no business anywhere near that list. Just, just from watching his 1989 stuff alone. But they also take a look at up and comers and the ultimate up and comer, Jim Powers, who I spell his first name G-Y-M because that, <laughs> that just makes sense and all. So do check that one out and also follow them on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You won't regret that, although it's highly unlikely that anybody who listens to this show doesn't already follow them on Twitter. I I just realized that, but those videos that they post are really, really good. Now, as for my show for next week, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I said, I I have a better plan for GFA Live. We're doing those best of the WWF things for Coliseum videos. That's a nice little thing. Of course, probably could have gone in order from 1 to 20, but I, I like jumping around and surprising Keithy with what's on them but as for as for this show i'm gonna i'm gonna leave leave it open again and i'm just gonna go through my queue and i'm gonna find something from there like i did this week because i'm glad i picked this one there's a lot of high profile stuff here but one reason why i would choose this show is i can bring back one of my favorite segments of greetings from allentown after what feels like a lengthy absence some youtube comment theater now, as always, these are actual YouTube comments left by what I can only presume are actual users. Many of them even have pictures with their avatar. So, you know, good good for them. I know I just have, like, a Baltimore Orioles logo, and I mainly only comment these days on basketball videos involving the 1990 Celtics and how much I hated Jimmy Rogers as a head coach. But anyway, I haven't screened these, so I'm just going to read through some of the top comments and just sort of... Uh, Comment on the comments, I guess. David Frederick Front Row says, that's a fun gimmick name. Did anyone notice security slash police surround the outside as Nikita pin Magnum? They expected a riot. And why not? The fans are probably pissed off at the Flair Dusty thing earlier. It was a big night for the heels in Charlotte, I have to say. 
Mr. Zone says, Wrestling fans today don't understand how powerful kayfabe was, especially in the mid-80s. And yeah, especially down south. I mean, I know Chris Zellner on Between the Sheets talks about that there are still some people down there who, who believe all this shit is real. So, <laughs> it, it's just kind of the, the the way it is, I guess. SwackFan100 says, feel like I'm 10 years old again. I could watch this all day. Thanks for uploading these. Now, this one's been up for a while. Hence, it's been in my queue for quite some time. But man, you should check these out while it's there. Because this stuff isn't on the network for whatever reason. Blake says, when the old school guys say they were, quote, hanging from the ra- were hanging from the rafters, I believe it. Look at this crowd, jam-packed. They did not say they were hanging from the rafters, or literally hanging from the rafters, because then they definitely would have owed Gorilla Monsoon some royalty money. And, the SRO signs went out early for this one, chefs. Always enjoyed those gorillaisms. JumpTube says, Kevin Nash can only dream about being as over as the Rock and Roll Express were. Well, Kevin Nash certainly had his moments. I'm thinking of the 1994 Royal Rumble when he wasn't even a face and he was getting cheered like crazy. Astrodamus1 says, quote, bald-headed geeks. Pistol Pez was tripping. <laughs> hey, don't call him that. He is Shaska Watley at that time. Alan Bennett says, this episode was taped in Charlotte. I loved it when TV tapings were done in Charlotte, the old Charlotte Coliseum, a.k.a. Independence Cricket Bojangles Arena. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's had a few name changes, I guess, over the years. Eric, Eric Tonya Schwab 1009 says, loved worldwide more than Saturday at 6.05 on TBS because you had main event matches like this. My favorite was the Rock and Roll and Dusty versus the Midnights and Big Bubba. Yeah, there's a lot to like about Worldwide and Pro versus the Saturday Night Show. I mean, for my purposes, it's the fact that it's a one-hour program versus, you know, the two-hour program that you would get on Saturday Night on TBS. JL Martinez says, Wow, Nikita telling Magnum and the fans will be the last time he sees the U.S. title. Nobody believed it back then, but soon after, the accident occurred and Magnum's career came to an end. And that's really, really sad. And it's even more sad seeing Magnum, like, pretty much at, like, the peak of his powers is just a complete and utter badass. And I'll wrap it up here with Mark Bowman, who says, 80s NWA with the crowd going crazy may have actually been hotter than New York at the time. Though I will say, as a live audience member in 1987 at the Hershey Park Arena... TV taping for Saturday Night's main event when the Hart Foundation held Randy Savage and Honky Tonk Man smashed Savage over the head with a guitar and Miss Elizabeth went to the back to the locker room and out came the red and yellow of the Hulkster to make the save you would have thought the roof blew off. Well, you kind of had to pull a specific example, but it does seem that the the NWA crowds were, were hotter on the whole. And that'll do it for YouTube Comment Theater. Before I call it a show, I ask for a favor here, and that is leave a review for Greetings Valentine. Five stars. Five. One, two, three, four, fifth. Five star review for Greetings Valentine on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcast reviews are accepted. I know I say that every week, but I don't, I don't entirely know where those places are. I mean, if you know where they are, feel free. I mean, I, please, and, and fill me in because I'll, I'll, I'll shout it out, I, I guess, because I do this on a weekly basis. You know why? Because I like to say that it provides what is known as social proof that you're listening to and enjoying this podcast. No matter, no matter what you might say about anything, I, I actually am amused by bad reviews somewhat. 
I mean, obviously, I'd prefer to have good reviews, but, like, the ones that, like, oh, this guy's totally obnoxious. Like, well, you listened to the show, didn't you? Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. And, yes, I am mildly obnoxious. I, I have to admit that because I am cocky enough to think that I, I, I could sit in a basement and talk about wrestling to myself for a couple of hours every week and, and think that, that people are going to listen to it. And I thank all of you who do. I, I really appreciate it. That's why I keep doing this week after week after week. This is episode 183. I didn't think I was going to get past episode 10. I, like, delayed getting a bigger SoundCloud subscription because I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I mean, I, I wasn't sure how to edit really anything until about episode 5, which is why everything sounds like crap early on. It's, oh, yeah, listening to that stuff, it... it the early stuff didn't get good until I laid on the beach in Aruba and then figured out what the hell I wanted to do with it. And read that Bob Backlund book, which I can't recommend highly enough when it comes to that. So anyway, I think this weekend I'll read the Nitro book finally, because I have it on my Kindle, loaded, ready to go. I'm on chapter three. I mean, I'm sure it's going to have chills, spills, a laugh, I'll cry, I'll probably accidentally blade myself Oh, wait, no, this is WCW. This is not a Jim Crockett Promotions book, so I misspoke. But anyway, that is it for me this week. I'm kind of rambling. And do tune in next Thursday for another exciting episode of Greg's from Hounddown. It's going to be shameful. The whipping you get, Ole Anderson, is going to be shameful. And the whipping you get, Ric Flair, is going to be shameful and baby doll. Shame on you, mama.